I'll be back. I'm Bill. This is Ted. We're from the future. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, where the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I'm the doctor. I'm the doctor. I'm the doctor. I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. Welcome to Fact and Science Fiction. I'm your host, Carly, and this episode is about time travel. First, I want to apologize for the long hiatus between this episode and the last, my Halloween special. I decided to go monthly with the podcast, but then it became so easy to put off working on it. So now I'm going to go back to bi-weekly, starting now. So my next episode is going to be two weeks from when this one is released. As you heard from the intro, there are a lot of iconic science fiction movies that feature time travel in the plot. And these were just the first ones that I thought of, and that I reasonably could find a quick clip of. I googled the best time travel movies to refresh my memory when I knew I wanted to do this podcast episode, and if you haven't checked out the blog, I wrote a recap of the corniest worst movies from the best of list on Google. Yeah, I know that sounds confusing, but if you Google the best time travel movies, this list will pop up right at the top. These movies include The Jacket, starring Adrian Brody and Kira Knightley, and The Lake House, starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And I actually really enjoyed these movies when I saw them in 2005 and 2006, respectively. What these movies represent is the idea that a movie can use time travel not just for science fiction, but across many genres. Drama, comedy, romantic drama, or romantic comedy, or fantasy. Another example that Facebook is bombarding me with is the Outlander series on stars. And this has been the case since the very beginning of stories. Stories featuring characters traveling backward or forward in time have existed since before the written word. In an early Japanese legend, a fisherman called Yurashima Taru rescues a turtle, and as a reward, visits an underwater palace. When he returns to Japan, 300 years have passed, but only three days have passed for him. In the Mahabharata from India, King Ravata Kakudmi travels to heaven to meet the Hindu god of creation Brahma, and when he returns to earth, many years have passed. Now I'm sure you can think of other stories that use this kind of example such as the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, or the Kid in King Arthur's Court, that movie from the 90s, or Rip Van Winkle. Writer David Glick argues that these stories where time passes by protagonists magically doesn't really count as science fiction. He, and probably most of you listening, marked the first instance of time travel in science fiction as H.G. Wells's The Time Machine in 1895. But in reality, there were a zeitgeist of authors writing about time even if they aren't credited with the conception of futuristic time travel. For example, in 1887, Enrique Gaspar Irembo wrote El Anacronopete, in which a machine takes Don Sildolfo Garcia and his friends back to several places in history. In 1881, Edward Page Mitchell conceived of characters who could travel back in time by a clock on the wall in his story The Clock That Went Backward. In 1892, author Jay McCullough wrote a story about a man who falls asleep and wakes up in the year 2000, where golf and politics are the only activities not yet dominated by masculinized women. So I got this from Wikipedia. I did not actually read the story. 
So Glick wrote about this in his book, Time Travel, A History, that the zeitgeist involved writers such as Virginia Woolf, James Joyce, as well as philosophers in the day. Glick describes it as a zeitgeist because just as H.E. Wells was publishing his idea on how time works, in which a person could travel through time as if it were a real place, Einstein was publishing his theory of general relativity that connected space and time. What is almost common knowledge now was revolutionary back then, and all of these writers and scientists were thinking of it in the same way. We're going to talk about the practical applications for Einstein's theories and how it can allow for time travel, but I want to keep talking about H.G. Wells for a moment. It's really hard for me to talk about the real H.G. Wells. If you're a Warehouse 13 fan, you'll know that the sci-fi series reimagined H.G. Wells as a woman inventor who uses her brother's name to move freely in society back then, in the late 1880s. So whenever anyone says H.G., I think of Jamie Murray first. Anyway, in this timeline, H.G. Wells was a dude sci-fi writer and thinker. He wrote about machines used in war that we now call tanks. Winston Churchill himself was a huge fan of H.G. Wells, and they began a long friendship, talking about what the future might look like and what war and society might look like in the future. H.G. Wells was also pretty liberal for his day. He believed in women's suffrage and believed in free love, which definitely goes along with Warehouse 13's take on the character. H.G. Wells was socialist, but not in the way that's denigrated in most of America today. He traveled to the USSR, damaging his relationship with Winston Churchill on his way, and found them to be very close-minded. We take some of his ideas like time travel and women's rights to vote for granted now, but back then he was really ahead of his time, pun intended. But that was in the past. Now we're going to move a little bit forward to the present day, or I guess most recent past, and talk about the physics behind time travel. If you've read the blog, factandsciencefiction.com, I did a short little post on the most popular terms about time travel. I personally find physics the most difficult to understand of the sciences, and I do not look down on you if that's the same for you. Even in a college introductory course, I could barely grasp the concepts. But I kind of grasped the bigger picture of physics, which is basically explain how the universe works on the micro and macro levels. Now, a lot of scientific fields claim that mission. Certainly, biology explains how the universe works, and chemistry and geology and mathematics especially. Philosophy, too, attempts to explain how the universe works. Physics can involve all of those fields. In fact, the most interesting reading I've ever done on physics involves a lot of philosophy. And I'll mention that a little later. But so far as I can tell, it's only physics theories that we celebrate for explaining the relationship between time, space, and us on Earth. The cool thing about physics is that a lot of physicists like to test their theories with thought experiments that can lead to a lot of great science fiction. Likewise, a lot of physicists are science fiction fans, and sometimes science fiction influences the experiments they do, and experiments they do then inspire science fiction creators to follow those ideas. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So what exactly do physicists say about time travel? Einstein's revolutionary theory linked time and space, so that is called space-time by physicists and now by us here. And he theorized that space-time is affected by mass and speed. So a sun, for instance, or a black hole with their large, large size bends space-time around it so that it moves slower the closer you are to it. He theorized that time is relative, which you may have heard before. 
If you move closer to the speed of light away from Earth and then return, only a few years may pass for you, but dozens of years will pass for people on Earth. And that's called time dilation. And time dilation can affect pretty much everything. (laughs) So time dilation then explains what's called the twin paradox. So if a twin goes into space close to the speed of light and then returns, he will be much older than the twin that's here on Earth. And a lot of science fiction uses that twin paradox. Um, Robert Heinlein was a really big fan of it. I'm sure that you can think of other things. And that's been proven to actually happen. They'll send a very, very accurate clock into space, and when it returns, it'll be off by a couple nanoseconds than the clock that's here on Earth. We talked about time dilation in my space travel episode with my friend Paul. He talked about the series Stargate SG-1 that dealt with it quite realistically. So because of this idea, the speed of light features a lot in science fiction as well as in a lot of physics experiments. Formally, the speed of light is defined as the distance light can travel in a unit of time. In a vacuum, now this is really important, in which there's no air resistance at all, the speed of light is 186,282 miles per second. In sci-fi, spaceships often have a near-light speed capability, but some go faster than light, such as the FTL drive in Battlestar Galactica or the warp drive in Star Trek. Einstein posited that anything that goes faster than light, even if it's communication or radio waves, would be equivalent to time travel. But scientists agree that in reality, nothing can travel faster than light. The thing about physics is that the same laws that govern kicking a ball govern whether time travel to the past is possible. Physics laws try to explain everything, like I said before, from atomic bombs to atoms to subatomic particles. So causality states that the effect of an action cannot occur before the cause of an action. A ball can't move before I've kicked it. Makes sense. But causality also explains why someone can't travel in time and change anything that would stop them from traveling in time in the first place. The, it's called the grandfather paradox. You can't go back in time and kill your grandfather because then you wouldn't have been born and then you wouldn't have gotten into a time machine and gone back in time. However, that same assumption of causality is applied to everything. So when I tell you about this next experiment, just try to get a handle on the significance of it. So there are experiments that make the law of causality a little fuzzy. So just to refresh, one of the classical laws of physics is that no object can travel faster than light. If they do go faster than light, it's going faster than time. So like going so fast that it happened before you sent the thing across. Okay, I'll explain. Lijun Wang's 2000 paper, Shock the World, when his team reported laser pulses went 300 times faster than light in vacuum. His team sent packages of waves through a bulb of casium gas in a way that the package seemed to come out of the bulb 62 nanoseconds before the wave entered the bulb. Do you get that? It came back before he had actually sent it. How can this be? Well, that is a groundbreaking experiment. They did accelerate waves faster than light which, back in Einstein's day, he was just positing that that could happen. But according to other physics laws, waves are not technically objects. So, 
physicists disagree that this violated causality. However, these experiments do prove that causality can at least be messed with a little bit. But isn't that cool? See, physics experiments are the ones that make it a little bit more real to me. Like, I can read dense textbooks that explain these different laws, but it doesn't really make it seem real until I can hear about an actual experiment being done. And these are the kind of experiments that physicists do to test these theories. So another concept in physics that might make time travel possible is by wormhole. And we've talked about this in the space travel episode. Again, space and time are linked. By Einstein's theories, you can travel through time like you can travel through space. So just to refresh, theoretically, wormholes, also known as Rosen-Einstein bridges, after the scientists that conceived of them, are holes in space-time. They are holes that were created in the beginning of the universe, in the Big Bang. And Einstein's theory of relativity accepts that a person or a spaceship traveling in between wormholes would be able to exit at another point in time than when they entered. And so you'd see this in like Stargate SG-1, like my guest co-host of the space travel episode talked about. Unfortunately, we have not yet observed a real wormhole, and scientists believe that they would be very small, like fractions of fractions of one centimeter. And they would probably collapse very quickly. Just as they were created, they would collapse. So it'll probably be very hard to witness them. And then another caveat about traveling through time through wormholes would be that it would be impossible to go back further in time than the point at which the wormhole was created. And we heard this from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He talks about what a wet blanket. He says that even if we built a time machine, we wouldn't be able to travel back into a time before the time machine was created. Wormholes, time machines would limit the options for travel somewhat, and possibly explaining why we haven't encountered any visitors from the future. So that would be why all of these conferences in which uh, people throw like big parties for time travelers trying to get people from the future to go back in time to visit, that would explain because we haven't created a time machine yet. Back to wormholes. If any natural wormholes were formed in the Big Bang, it might be possible to travel to a limited number of points in the past and in the distant universe. And probably wouldn't enable one to flit around the universe like in Doctor Who or Stargate SG-1. Black holes are pretty similar, like I talked about earlier with mass affecting time and space. So black holes are supposed to be so big that time and space bend around it, like I talked about earlier. So um, Einstein theorized that if a spaceship was getting closer to a black hole, like hanging around the the edge of it, that time would move slower. Of course, traveling by black holes lends itself to a whole plethora of dangers and impossibilities, but I felt like I should mention it because that is another thing that Einstein talked about that would make time travel possible. I found myself engulfed in a turbulent wormhole. Luckily, I was able to find a way out and to my relief came upon a spacecraft I had left behind. I drifted closer to the window, hoping to see in the face of my commander, but instead found a younger version of myself staring back at me. A soft panuka. 
So I talked about Einstein a lot so far, and researchers studied time travel through the lens of Einstein's theories of relativity for a really long time. But more recently, physicists use quantum mechanics to get around those messy time travel paradoxes. I told you, these physicists, they're science fiction nerds, and they're going to use their big brains to figure out what's possible. So quantum mechanics uses mathematics to study motion and the interaction of subatomic particles. Most of their equations are in Latin characters, so I couldn't even explain. Just know that time travel theorizing is done in this field using math. And this is where the theory of cosmic strings comes along. So string theory is another big um, section of physics that they try to make compatible with Einstein's theories. And it's a big, not so much controversy, but a big area in the field. So the theory of cosmic strings was first published in 1991. So you think about it in like the field of physics, this is kind of recent. So cosmic strings in theory are one dimensional subatomic particles that were created during the Big Bang. Now physics call them cracks in space time because they could be infinite or they could be loops. Um, actually physicists can agree, but either way they have no end. Because they have such a large mass, they would warp space and time like black holes do. So this is why cosmic string theory is a popular theory for the possibility of time travel. According to the Anderson Institute, by maneuvering two cosmic strings close together, or possibly just one string plus a black hole, it is theoretically possible to create a whole array of closed time-like curves. So your best bet is to fire two infinitely long cosmic streams past each other at very high speeds, then fly your ship around them in a carefully calculated figure eight. In theory, you would be able to emerge anywhere, anytime. These curves were created in the Big Bang, and theoretically, they could still exist today. Another physicist you probably have heard of is Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking famously believed that time travel was possible. According to Forbes, he pegs this notion on the promise of something called M-theory that suggests that the universe may contain seven hidden dimensions in addition to the familiar four dimensions of space-time. He said, Rapid space travel and travel back in time can't be ruled out according to our present understanding. Science fiction fans need not lose heart. There's hope in M-theory. These words were written in his book, published right before he died. So now we're going to jump to the future. I talked a little bit about how H.G. Wells was ahead of his time, in some ways more than others. But he was a futurist, like Winston Churchill, who turned out to be right about a lot of things. James Glick, the author I told you about in the beginning, I watched an interview with him on YouTube. And while he did a lot of research into time travel um, on the physics sides and on the science fiction side, he talked a lot about determinism. And this is a personal philosophy thing. You have to decide for yourself whether you believe that the future is a fixed place that you can visit. Now, a lot of science fiction deals with this issue. Someone would go to the past or change something in the present, and then they travel to the future, and some things are just totally different. And James Glick himself believes that the future is not written until the second that it happens. There are some science fiction works that definitely have a prejudice towards the cynical, 
for the future. When you Google time travel, a lot of very clickbaity articles come up about the Terminator future and whether we're headed toward it. A lot of the episodes that I talk about in this podcast think about where this science, where this technology is going. And maybe sometimes I have a little bit of a cynical view of it. It's hard not to. When every article that comes up when you Google topics of science fiction also take that same route. But I wanted to leave this episode on a more optimistic note. The future is not determined. Not until the second it happens. But before I sign off, I want to think a little bit more about why time travel is such a huge theme in all kinds of genres of fiction, and why tech enthusiasts and, and physicists keep testing theories to see how possible time travel is. Why do we want to travel through time? You say something embarrassing at a party and you're like, Ugh, if only I could go back in time, I could fix that one thing, and it wouldn't plague me for the next 12, 20 years. Or maybe it's to find a more comfortable time. One of these icebreaker questions that you ask maybe on a first date is like, if you could travel to any time period, where would you go? And for some people to the past is not alluring at all. And so as a woman, as a queer woman, I don't really have a nostalgia for the past that maybe some other people do. So time travel stories are a good way to reflect on privilege and reflect on maybe how easy we have it now and how hard it was in the past and perhaps how hard it could be in the future. So I want to leave you with this question. Why do you want to travel through time? Subscribe, rate, and review to Fact and Science Fiction wherever you get this podcast. Leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or, I don't know, there are a lot of directories. I would appreciate it. Like I said, the next episode is going to come out two weeks from when this episode came out. And I want to thank everybody who's reached out through Twitter and Facebook and the website. Check out those posts about time travel on the blog, factandsciencefiction.com. And lastly, thanks for listening.